0: stand on my stage with 500 pound tires
1: and everybody envy you absolutely okay i would be uh, the biggest liar if i said no i am popular i am
0: so well known as big cat guy around the world the people who are against people having relationships with animals period want to destroy me because i am out there in the forefront so known of being this guy that is in love with big cats and has them love him back.
1: What really sets apart Big Cat Rescue from a zoo is that we are fixing the problem, they are creating the problem. People like Joe Exotic, what they are doing is breeding cats for life in cages, but the reason that we have cats in cages is to provide them a safe place to live until they die. Welcome to Psychodrama Podcast. I'm Katie Gordon with my co-host.
0: <laughs> Leonardo Guadija with the Rhymes with Casadilla. I, I don't think I did that last time, so I need to go back to my trademark. Exactly.
1: I noticed that we skipped our opening thing, the last one. I think it's just because we were both tired and stressed out about the pandemic.
0: There was a, That's right. That's right. So this is uh, week, I don't know, three of uh, being in quarantine. And um, yeah, still the crisis is ongoing. How are you holding up hanging in there how about you yeah same here but the same just i'm trying to i like i said last night like i need to disengage from the news a little bit more but it's it's very difficult um but yeah a little bit better definitely feel more like i'm hitting my strive and trying to take care of myself more by working out and all that stuff but still kind of a little bit, those moments of surreal that you're like, I can't believe we're going through this kind of stuff still hits. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think staying up on the news um, is important to an extent, but I also noticed mm-hmm. that many people are turning to things like Netflix and tiger king specifically
0: to distract themselves i know it's it really it took off like a wildfire and finally we 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 had to jump onto that little band bandwagon boy am i glad we did
1: (laughs) well you know i think that one thing i want to make sure we do is thank all of the people who tweeted questions at us because they helped us to kind of put together the content for what we're going to talk about today and leo and i both said that like there's so much in the show that they pack in there that you could really do your own like a podcast of 10 episodes which i think there is actually a tiger king podcast but
0: is there yeah i have to imagine they probably yeah it really is engrossing so yeah it's there's a lot of a lot in there to to unpack
1: so i think we talked about kind of in order to keep this episode under 40 hours <laughs> just just hitting on a few things <laughs> to make our own documentary <laughs> exactly so first, want to thank um, everyone who reviewed and rated us on yeah, iTunes. Yeah. That helps people find the podcast. So thank you so much for everyone to do that. Thank you to everyone who has listened to the show, and thank you to the following. I'm going to do Twitter handles. Um, people who sent us discussion points for this episode: at a Perez Rojas, at Brit Syke, at K capo45, at Dr. April A, and at J. the III. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions, and we'll try to address all of them today. First, we're going to talk about some of the psychology and some of the mental health issues that people have been discussing in the documentary. One thing that we want to point out for sure is that um, Leo and I have both worked clinically as therapists and in research with people who have struggled with certain personality patterns that get them into situations that are distressing and impairing and that kind of cause trouble for them in their lives, and it's very painful to see. I think that's evident mm-hmm. throughout this documentary. There are some behaviors, certainly, that are unacceptable and that are violent and, and criminal, but if we mm-hmm. look at people through the lens of trying to understand what personality features might contribute to that, can hopefully help us kind of get a fuller picture of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think this is you know part of the reason it's com- this particular documentary is compelling, is because the the, the personalities of the people are so uh, there's big personalities. They're you know they're full. These are these are people who stand, certainly stand out from the norm. So I think that's part of the thing that is very engrossing and and gets a lot of people's attention.
1: Would you mind, Leo, saying a little bit about how your research is related to some of the things we observe in the documentary?
0: So my research is mostly on um, Cluster B, what's called the dramatic and erratic uh, personality disorders. So narcissism, borderline borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and histrionic personality disorder, and those traits which are very strongly correlated with each other. Uh, And just briefly to as a review, these disorders are uh, at their core characterized by a disinhibition of behavior in some aspects. So whether they're disinhibited in their expression of emotion or disinhibited in their behavioral expressions of aggression uh, or uh, their uh, impulses towards substances or uh, behaviors that can be maladaptive. And um, in addition, uh, some of the A couple of the syndromes, in particular narcissism and antisocial personality disorder, are also correlated with manipulativeness, uh, uh, superficial charm, um, using other people for your own ends and means. But anyway, so that's my my area of research, and I'm particularly interested in psychopathy, antisocial personality disorder, and narcissism. So that's kind of where my interests come in, and those traits are. Pretty, again, without diagnosing anybody, um, we see a lot of those behaviors and certainly and uh, I think a lot of the characters themselves allude to how much uh, attention they receive from having these animals and how they feel, a, a sense of power, a sense of self-enhancement um, by being around uh, these dangerous Uh,
1: And so if you don't mind, I might take one step back just um, to mention, to describe, to break down some of the um, terms that you used. And so like a personality disorder, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, is an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectations of the individual's culture... Is pervasive and inflexible. Has an onset in adolescence or early adulthood. Is stable over time and leads to distress or impairment. There's some debate in in psychology about whether personality disorders are kind of categorical. People have them or not, or whether they're dimensional, meaning that um, all of us have personalities, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And but when they get to a certain extents, they can be problematic. And so I think that. Um, it, at least in the way the documentary was shot, we see some, and you know, of course, with the disclaimer that it's someone was editing and asking questions. That's a good but, point. But what you said, I th- I think is exactly right, that Joe Exotic, for example, says, does it feel good to stand on my stage with 500 pound tigers and have everybody envy you? Of course it does. And Doc Antle says, I'm popular. I'm so well-known as a guy in love with big cats and that the cats love him back. People out there want to destroy me because I'm the forefront. So like those types of statements, what would be through your kind of clinical research lens? What do you think about those?
0: Um, so it, what it reminded me right away that quote that you gave uh, is uh, criterion eight for narcissism personality disorder which is um is often envious of others or and this is important this is the part believes that others are envious of him or her and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a central one of the central aspects of it is that this pervasive idea that the person thinks like they, they they are always thinking of themselves as if they're on a stage and on that stage either other people are very much envious of them and if, uh and they're always wanted to be them and kind of and under stress there's some data suggesting that when they're under stress and they, they develop a sense of paranoia and actually that was part of the um the presentation with uh, joe when he started getting more paranoid as things started started unraveling although allegedly or at least in the, in the he, they mentioned they were using a lot of methamphetamines which also increased paranoia in people nonetheless um this idea that other people are um always envious of them and uh, also, the the need of uh, the admiration, the the uh, strong need for yeah, uh, criterion four, which is requires excessive admiration, uh, is uh, is another important aspect of it. So it kind of just brings to mind a lot those two uh, those diagnostic criteria.
1: And it's painful to see that because I think that it seems like it seems like at least that drives some of the behavior with kind of the fixation on Carol for Joe that like, he sees a a threat to his, what he's known for. And it seems like Mm -hmm. that, I mean, he, I mean, he makes all those videos about it. He writes a song with the person who looks like her and like all, all of that kind of stuff. And I, I, I don't know if that's what's driving it or like you said, part of it might be some of the substance use that, is contributing to it as well
0: you know it's like so i think that's one of the things that we when we talk about this is that not there is very human human behavior is so complex right so it's multifactorial what makes us act and we can think i love the fact that you mentioned that you know we all kind of have these different personality traits and certainly we can all perhaps think of times in our lives especially when we're younger there seems to be evidence suggesting that earlier in life and during late adolescence, early adulthood, kind of these traits kind of tend to peak a little bit as we pay more attention to our appearance or we become more self-conscious. We think that everybody's looking at us. So there's a little bit of a kind of a normative narcissism that occurs, but most of us tend to kind of grow out of it to some degree, and it's not impairing or distressing. What is interesting to me is that, I mean, Joe's animosity towards Carol is... Real. I mean, Mm -hmm. she, he's not, he's paranoid by, at least in that case, rightly Mm -hmm. so, because she is indeed trying to shut him down.
1: That's absolutely right. I mean, it does, it would be paranoia if it wasn't so accurate that she was going out of her way. And so even though she presents, I think, as more calm and serious Mm -hmm. and kind of um, conforming, to law and stuff like that, she's actually is doing quite a bit to destroy what he's doing,
0: right? And you know, I think that that's a you know, I would love to hear after the the episode, you know, after the episode airs, and people's opinions regarding her. It, it has been interesting to see, at least on the internet and and uh, on just uh, the memes that are coming out of this the series. And Joe, as an anti-hero has really emerged. So even though he's very flawed and lots of things, it's amazing how much there's a lot of Carol comes across as very unlikable for for many people. that just like and and again, I'm still making this completely just from anecdotal evidence of looking at a lot of the memes. Uh, a lot of it has been centered around whether Carol, in fact, killed her husband, which is incredibly salacious accusation but apparently the sheriff down there reopened the investigation so it's just drama left and right which is part of the reason we chose it to keep with our theme of our that's show. right exactly we we do go for psychodrama mm-hmm. and uh the uh that's our brand the, so the, yeah that is, <laughs> that is our but brand. also
1: it's so like so many people are watching this and talking about it that it does it yeah. does actually seem like a good opportunity for. Our, for other purpose, which is to actually talk about psychological research and, and clinical right. practice in I mean, this context. so
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. To me, what's interesting about from a psychological perspective, I see uh, Joe and Carol and Doc, as, they're kind of lying in a dimension. So in thinking about the dimensional model of personality disorders and um, as I mentioned earlier, this cluster B personality disorders are correlated and these narcissism You know, we can think of them It's better. We think of them as a, as a constellation of traits that are correlated with each other more like in a in a circle on a circumplex rather than in cubby holes. Like here's ASPD and it's separated along from narcissism. Rather, these things are interrelated and correlated and some people may have kind of volumes. The way I envision it in my mind is I see different volumes for the symptoms. So maybe uh, Joe may have more of this self-sabotaging, impulsive, aggressive uh, reactions than, say, Doc Antle or certainly Carol, who's more likely to be thoughtful and thinks about how is she going to be more strategic about how she's going to eventually achieve her goals and means, whereas Joe is just going, like, all-out, very impulsive, um, very little there's there's a there's a strategy, but his tactics are just very explosive and less less controlled as would be for example Carol's and certainly doc who basically is an observer and you know he sees that and while Carol is also against him against doc antle for sure he's very happy to just lay low and let you know basically Joe and Carol just go at each other and while he just goes about. Uh, along his business with his harem
1: another question was like if they do stuff that is like in some ways really agitates people and antagonizes one another but they all seem to have a number of loyal people working for them who work for a little money or for free they also have multiple partners joe tends to um go after people it seems who are much younger than him and maybe don't have a mm-hmm. lot of other options so what about that behavior is that something that you typically see with these personality traits as well
0: right so one of the the uh sim- i would say symptoms but one of the uh, the characteristics of these clustered personality disorders is uh, having a sense of entitlement uh, of others and you can see that oftentimes that. Uh, you know these people want to work with you know they want to be around the tigers they want to do this so this they, they should do it for basically free or nothing and so that's item five on the on the dsm uh, has a sense of entitlement for the for and the dsm for uh, narcissistic personality disorder which is has a sense of entitlement i.e unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations we saw this frequently and uh, the characters talked about it, in the, you know, the uh, ancillary characters in Joe's farm, for example, we talked frequently about um, Joe's outburst whenever things weren't done and how he just demeaned them and it was just like a bit of a like powder keg. And number six, uh, item, uh, criteria number six is, is interpersonal exploitative, i.e. takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own needs or own ends. And I think that that's one of the things that the characters are, you know, you see that over and over and over uh, in which they are finding ways to use people for their own ends, whether it's to maintain the, uh, the, the facilities that they have or to have relationships with them that, you know, some people might consider exploitative um, and continue doing that. In order to, and Jeff, who is, uh, you know, kind of as a dark figure, kind of not rises. And the back end, essentially ends up, according to Joe, taking over his uh, his uh, emporium um, by being deceptive and manipulative and kind of playing the back. And that's that's in full. Those those all of those are in full display for the characters. What I thought was interesting, and I I, I, I think this is the reason why Joe I, you know, rises is more as a, as a very antihero figure is because he has a lot of things about him that are very flawed. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's done things that are terrible. So maybe he shot five tigers, possibly because he couldn't afford them. Who knows? Um, but at the same time, you can tell that he does, at the beginning, care a lot for them and wants to do what's best for them. So he appears as an anti-hero because he's very, also kind of insightful. And at some point he says, he's talking about Doc Antle, I think. He's talking about how he has uh, this bevy of women that uh, you know help him. And there's definitely the footage of Doc with these people who uh, the women who are he very changes dresser, their scantily. name. He
1: tells them how to dress. He
0: changes their oh names, exactly how to dress. All the right. It's very controlling, and that's another thing that becomes very evident. They are very controlling of the people in their sphere. So Joe does not like his husbands to go out and do things without let him know. And Doc Antle is very controlling of. The, the the women and how they appear. He had his husband. Joe um, had his
1: husband tattooed like property of tattooed Joe on as him. a
0: property of. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's there's so much. And I think as a, a, to me, then it just it reminds me a lot of like uh, 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 kind of S and M relationships in which people uh, willingly, you know, call themselves like their property of the person, that person, the master, and all. That. There's just so there's so much material. Like you said, there's. We could spend a whole series on it, so I'll try to wrangle my thoughts uh, as one would wrangle a tiger, <laughs> and <laughs> and and say that Joe, at some point during the series, he he just mentions he has insight into his behavior, and other ones, and he said, you know, that he basically says that Doc Antle has his harem, and he has his, and you know, he he basically says, you know, we both find people that want to be around these animals, and we just. Take advantage advantage of that in a very open manner, and I think that's um, I think one of the people who on, on who Twitter who tweeted at us uh, a question was regarding that. You know, what is it about people who are charismatic and kind of uh, almost cult leaders? And that's that's another thing that the, the, the term cult was used, I think, by Joe or somebody in regards to himself and Doc, and also about Carol, because while carol um, may appear you know she presents herself as the more uh, as kind of the 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 good figure in this, in this. yeah like she, the savior it's interesting to see how she has mm-hmm. yeah the savior exactly she she does has she has this core of volunteers. so she has all these volunteers uh, that are color-coded depending on the amount of time that they've been there And Joe is fuming at that. He's like, yeah, you know, I have, you know, people who help me here, but she does the same thing. I mean, she's she's doing exactly the same thing that I'm doing. She's keeping animals in captivity for money in order to maintain them and in order to achieve these goals. And I was like, I think that's part of the problem is that it's almost like they are mirror images of each Mm -hmm. other. Uh, It's just that in some way carol cannot leave the other one two be and that's what creates the most conflict Um, because that's part of her what what she
1: gets admired for right her husband calls her the mother teresa of cats or something that's right because she goes after that and i you know i think the thing with joe like you said that there's something that i think people even though he's (laughs) like clearly done horrible hurtful things and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that is that they show these like moments like the two that stand out for me is one when he talks about coming out to his dad that he's gay and then he drives off yeah. a bridge and tries to kill himself um Ugh, it's, i mean talk about like it's invalidating environment i mean that's exactly. terrible um and mm-hmm. then he um first connected with cats at lion country safari which is actually a place that near where i grew up um but then um I just had to mention that because there's a lot of Florida in this, um, and then, <laughs> and then, the other thing that stands out is that when he has those two chimpanzees in the cages next to each other, and then they're finally together and they hug, and he's like, "I kept them away from each other," and again, it's a documentary; it's cut certain ways to make like evoke certain feelings. But it doesn't seem, for someone who often has, like, callous behaviors, that didn't seem like a callous moment, right?
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think that's that's what's compelling about Joe, is that he has these moments of, um, you know, you can tell that he's rehearsing a lot of stuff. He had the cameras running mm-hmm. all the time, so he would be like, even when he was mad, it was like, you can tell there's this kind of superficial aspect. But then there are other times in which he has kind of this real emotion. I think that when he's uh, one of his the, the younger husband I don't remember his name right now who shot himself accidentally oh. which was that was oh nuts, my Uh um, terrible yeah that uh, when he I you know from my perspective it looked like he truly mourned him and he really cared for him and at the same time used that as an opportunity for further self-aggrandizement and uh, the fact that he talked about his husband's testicles yeah. and his um, funeral was just like one of those ones that you're like, You, I can't believe happening. And then he had his, the happening. guy's
1: mom come to his next wedding two months later mo- with right, that very right. young man later. who was right. I don't know, maybe 18 or 19 or something like that. And Joe's don't one know, in his 50s or something,
0: right? And you know, again, I there's
1: nothing wrong with that, I, but I, it I, is a note, <laughs> it's a notable <laughs> pattern though. When it's something, repeated. it's a notable just like pattern. Earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. you mentioned sadomasochistic relationships again kinks right. totally fine but there's a difference between when someone is like fully consenting versus someone who like i mean they taught joe explicitly says like he goes to the bus station and finds the people who have no other options and then yeah. invites them and that one person had their arm ripped off by a tiger who's back like five days right. later
0: so, if, so it's
1: definitely yeah. like it's a pattern of behavior. i will
0: say that that's one of the things that when uh, one of the people who uh, put a questions out for it on twitter is kind of made that parallel to cult leaders. And that's exactly what Joe was mentioning. It's like kind of like we have our little cult. Mm-hmm. We all have our little cults. And what cult leaders are good at charismatic ones that they figure out, you know, what are the things that people want and need, you know, so do they need comfort? Do they need validation? Uh and in this case is people who needed who liked animals and they wanted to be around tigers and they're that's they're really fascinated by felines. And he provided that in addition, and then they were also kind of down in their locking many mm-hmm. in many aspects, uh, and then he kind of then started in a way. Quite frankly, they were, the term I would use is kind of grooming, mm-hmm. right? Uh, towards that, the I think that the point that Joe makes is about you know that basically Carol might be doing exactly the same thing, and you know people will agree disagree about that, but that I think that's a part that makes the series um, very compelling. In that you see these characters who are have this very um, flamboyant personality, I'll, I'll use that term and engaging in behaviors that are pretty maladaptive in many ways and can not stop watching. And at the same time, you, you, I think we all kind of can recognize a little bit of ourselves in some aspect, I mean, you know, who among us has not had a bevy of tigers? Oh. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Memo to self. I let the, I let the proverbial cat out of the bag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How many cat puns can we get into this thing? <laughs> <laughs> Boom, one down. I thought yeah. grooming was two, but because grooming is such a serious term, I decided not to note that. But now, now that the time has passed, I will mention that. Um, <laughs>
0: but now, no, but you, but H- yeah. How many lives does our podcast? Nine-ish? Have? Nine ish. <laughs> Nine. Boom,
1: like a cat. <laughs> so, so, so thank you thank you for our perfect puns boo thank you for indulging (laughs) us (laughs) um but jeff right explicitly was sneaking those little cubs into his suitcase and bringing them into the hotels so that women and like well so here's part of it like you said who among us doesn't want to like cuddle a wildcat
0: it'd be so cool to commute to work on an elephant i will say that i was like that's, that's all. Like, very subtle I entrance to in a river with an elephant just hanging i'm like okay now i'm just gonna check out my orangutan now sweet
1: it, but like i am surprised that that many people are like you have a tiger cub in in your in your room now i'm interested in you and like that like i'm I, I maybe i don't i'm low in whatever that personality characteristic is like i low. love tigers i think they're beautiful but like You're if someone i would be like i would think that was kind of cruel to shove one in a suitcase and bring them up to like a hotel room in vegas but again there are a lot of other factors going on there so
0: i think this would be a good I, this might be a good one to talk to touch with yes. our with hal next week because what it made me when when you're referring to that it really made me think about um, the objection so we it's ironic that Joe would be you would get um, and let definitely ask Hal perhaps you know the fact that he would get in trouble for shooting five tigers mm-hmm. but and yeah and I think somebody in the documentary said there's something about animal abuse that people just do not tolerate as the, as the as the as the trial was going and to me it's interesting because you know what difference is there, and this is something that Hal has touched in his articles and his books, is that you know why is it that we value cute, fuzzy animals, but the ones that we eat, we're okay with. You know, like we're we're okay with essentially shooting, and, and you as a vegetarian,
1: I therefore have moral consistency. <laughs> uh,
0: you <laughs> you are the superior being. Oh no, that's uh, <laughs> a stereotype.
1: Well, you've known me for a long time, and I like to think that I have I never have. lectured anyone. About being vegetarian or vegan during that time? No, that's
0: true. You you were too far too sanctimonious <laughs> to do that.
1: It's a personal <laughs> choice, but I, I, I absolutely
0: no. But you know, you know, isn't that interesting? Don't don't you think that that's a, that's that's kind of like the the irony or you know the the paradox of it all is that people get riled up about the entire, but at the same time we are abusing piglets mm-hmm. and animals because you know that's part of our animal chain, an animal food chain, and how humans disconnect from that, but really relate to the other one, is interesting. The, the thought that I wanted to, I'll bring it back to what you were saying earlier is that I think you're right. So they really like their animals, right? Mm-hmm. Let me, let's, let's finish that point. Uh, I think that, you know, why is it that they profess to really love their animals, but then engage in these behaviors? And I actually, I have a colleague right now who she does stuff on on animal hoarding. And I asked her, we had a happy hour recently via Zoom, uh, and I tell her, I asked her if she had been watching *The Tiger King*. She said she had, and I was like, you know, because this really kind of relates a little bit to talk, to animal mm-hmm. hoarding. And if you think about the people who are oftentimes convicted, this relates to your uh, animal cruelty part, perhaps. People who are convicted of animal hoarding, or um, oftentimes getting in trouble for animal cruelty, and what happens is they go into their house and they find, you know, tons of animals that they they start rescuing, and they really want, and they get both comfort. And it's like kind of like using animals as a form of self, uh, of emotional self-regulation. And maybe we could have a, an episode three with my colleague and talk about animal hoarding behavior. So I think that the, a lot of it is that they all talk about how they really like animals. So even the, the guy who was a drug dealer, mm-hmm. the guy who was, who was a drug dealer, but then he kind of started a zoo, and so, so was Jeff. They all talk about how they liked animals and they like. But I think these are expensive, exotic animals right maintaining those animals is difficult so at some point you start hoarding them and trying to maintain so many it is going to get out of hand and that is true for tigers as it is for regular cats or dogs and people who are often found uh, uh, who hoard animals they really i you know i don't have a reason to not believe them but they really do care and want their animals by the sense they just they're unable to manage the care for this menagerie and next thing you know they have you know, corpses of animals littering. You know, there's food everywhere and feces and stuff, and it's a mess. Um, So I think that maybe the the case is that they just kind of get it. They go over, they get over their heads and given their other personality traits, then it makes it easier for them to engage in behavior that otherwise we would be reprehensible.
1: So, so it sounds like kind of consistent with like you've talked about, kind of this constellation of personality characteristics right. that they they are um, because of impulsivity, poor planning ahead, or maybe feeling a lot of positive reinforcement from all the people that are paying them attention while they have these animals. They they don't think. Long term about how they're going to actually care for each of the animals they get, and then right. they, um, kind of get to that point where they're like, "Oh, I can't take care of all of them," and and because they're have also that sense of being callous enough or capable of being cruel, and kind of thinking about how they're yeah. affected, they're able to hurt them. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's exactly it, and and uh, you know, they're the traits that allow you know that. I, often think, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, not in Psychodrama, but in previous uh, episodes or definitely my classes, that our, our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses and the things that makes them, um, you know, that's the one thing that I was always uh, fascinated in this documentary is that I saw how much work and effort they were willing, how much risk they were willing to take in order to create these sanctuaries and these environments in order to keep these animals to very to very to a lot of detriment to themselves and but then once you find yourself in that deep uh what do you do and then they start using those personality traits in order to get people to help them or run for governor or whatever it is in order to in order to to maintain that and it's it's it to me it's it's very interesting it's compelling and um i always i i started thinking about people who again kind of the cult leaders and I've heard of some cult leaders definitely that start they they start uh the religious congregation not necessarily because they're set out to be like I am going to ha, ha, I'm going to create a cult and I'm going to but rather they really are like we're going to start a religious congregation we want to be different and next thing you know it you know power is intoxicating and I, I, that's that the saying that um uh what is it absolute no Power, absolute power. Oops to absolute
1: Wack. corruption, I don't know. We're not we are not good at knowing our, our sayings. <laughs> we're not good at those. We, we really need Let to get see. our absolute aphorisms down. Absolute power leads. Power corrupts. Oh, <laughs> I have absolute power leads to absolute corru- corruption, but there's a better way of saying it. Like, absolute, yeah, power, absolute corrupts power corrupts absolutely, corrupts. or something.
0: Corrupts, corrupts. By historian, power, comma, absent.
1: politician, based on my first Google Search John Dalberg power tends first Baron Acton. Yeah,
0: power tends to corrupt. There you go. Don't John Dalberg is that? What, that's the one that you got.
1: That's what I got oh, from yes. my first Google. Let's pair. go with that. Yeah. was we'll it?
0: absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, oh, I was actually thinking
1: yeah. about this recently. With um, sometimes, um, uh, well, we'll just say health professionals or other experts who sometimes in the media um they start off like very reasonable and then you see this trajectory after mm-hmm. they get more and more popular and they just start speculating more and they stop start saying yeah. things that are inaccurate and so i was thinking about that <laughs> dr schmoz <laughs> dr who Oz. i was thinking of doctor yes yes dr oz definitely oh you were disguising his name <laughs> I was thinking of Doctor Drew. <laughs> I don't know too, what you're talking about. Doctor Drew, who recently got into like some trouble That's for right. um, underplaying for the, the coronavirus and and very mm-hmm. confidently speaking about it, but he's been on on that kind of way for a long time. I remember. But yeah. anyway, I, we'll get back to the episode. But the point is, I think that yeah. people who have like all of us are drawn to that right but then you kind of maybe particularly if you have the type of personality where that's really strong and important to your identity that you end up doing that um what do we know about what causes this is it like it seems like there's definitely a genetic component right that can put people at greater likelihood um and then we talked about what are some of the environmental factors
0: that's so. I I think it, that's hard to say because I don't think that our, that I know of. I don't think we have strong evidence regarding uh, one way or the. Other. What we do know is a little bit about genetics and the non-shared environmental factors. So con- a lot of the data that I've seen on um, behavioral genetics of person uh, personality disorders, uh, most of the variance, so, so mo- mo- most of the occurrence of the of these. Symptoms appear to be driven more by additive genetic factors and by non-shared environmental factors, meaning factors that we think of as outside of the home, mm. basically, so things that happen to them outside of the home, rather than stuff at the at the at the at home. That is not, to, and that kind of riles some people up because, I'm like, what you're saying is that parents don't matter, and I'm like, I'm not saying okay. that. What we're saying is that some of the data suggests that those are the factors that are that way more for the symptoms but as you mentioned there uh, there there are some data looking at whether certain types of parenting uh, may be more likely to lead to um, uh, cluster b personality traits and you've mentioned uh, invalidating environments seem- and they seem to be associated with uh, the development of um, borderline personality symptoms and there's definitely some data su- suggesting that and there's some data suggesting um, that both extreme deprivation and neglect uh maybe associated with narcissism, as is the other extreme end, which is complete uh, overindulgent oh. and lack of parenting that is also associated with um narcissistic traits. And I guess we could I, I, we know more, I think, about Joe's background, a little bit on Carol's, that they kind of they had very difficult early early you know, late adolescence and early adulthood uh settings.
1: By the way, we should say Doc Antle thinks that the documentary had several things wrong with it, so I'll just mention that. Wait,
0: Doc Antle said there's the the documentary had a lot of wrong. Things.
1: Yeah, um, I mean I don't think it paints it him sense. in a particularly positive light. So although, yeah, know, nobody comes out smelling. No, I don't do that, think that's so.
0: For sure. um, well, they tried to go a little bit closer to the um, to some of the source material with. Uh, Uh, the conviction for Joe and you know what was it about you know because I'm like yeah we thought I thought we knew that he was selling tigers I don't see what was the problem but then the actual indictment uh, from the Justice Department mentions how he was essentially saying that he was loaning him or donating them but actually he knew they were going to be for sale and he didn't report that so there was a lot of things that he was supposed to be doing but not doing and then I guess that, that kind of goes to the, if we were going to tie it to diagnostic criteria, uh, perhaps with the violation of, uh, for ASPD antisocial personality disorder, a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others uh, since age 15, and then it, that's the, the main criterion. Uh, and then it gives a criterion uh, symptom one, basically is failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors. As indicated by repeating performing acts that are grounds for arrest, so that perhaps could be one of them. And it, it and it is interesting that a lot of the character that was it, I think it was John, which was the associate, the guy who was <laughs> on the on the skidoo. There's oh, yeah. this kind of epic scene when when they're playing the Rocky theme and he's just like bad guy. Mm-hmm. By the way, somebody on Reddit made a glorious um, oil painting of that particular <laughs> scene, and it was just great. And. Uh, uh he mentioned that he's like you know i don't i don't like the law particularly I don't really like the feds, but I also don't want to go against them uh so very a very overt uh and uh, jeff is the same thing he's like you know i'm not i'm not an angel but you know the very overt antagonistic um attitude towards social societal norms yeah like kind and, of i'm they're above the norms. law
1: kind of thing.
0: Basically, yeah, no, yeah. Again, and I think it's also part that to me it's kind of compelling about a lot of these characters. It's almost it it'll, it's almost like I don't. This literally just came to my mind, so I may sound insane, but it's a little bit like Tombstone or something. Oh. Like, it re, it reminds me of it's like a modern mm-hmm. Western. Mm-hmm. Like you have these very colorful characters in what is now you know the new West, basically, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit, uh, and it's very Southern Gothic tale of kind of murder and mystery and but also a little bit of these characters who are you know old school outlaw basically Mm -hmm. it's like you know i i know the ain't no government doesn't ain't no law that says i cannot keep a bunch of tigers well actually yeah there is well (laughs) it's my way of life and i'm ain't no government's gonna tell me to do it i'm like i i kind of get that uh well i don't get it but i i've been around it long enough that i understand Mm -hmm. it the ethos that you had that you question the government in many ways and you don't really like it and the rules and laws like why why can't two consenting adults sell a lemur for Christ's Right,
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, I I think that's right and I, I also think because like I think that some people have said, Oh, you know, if the fact that so many people are watching this means there's maybe something really wrong with us as a culture or something. That may be true, but mm-hmm. this is not new for I mean, fictional movies, exactly. documentaries, reality shows. I mean, this this particular type of personality, char- like these groups of personality characteristics, like you said, where people seem larger than life, outrageous in many mm-hmm. ways, that are doing things that don't make sense. They tend to fascinate people. I think that it's Forever. oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I mean,
0: Shakespeare is about that mm-hmm. a lot. It, that's great. The great arts, arts literature and pulp fiction or pulpy stories are have been around forever yeah
1: because people are intrigued by it and it's mm-hmm. a distraction i mean you'd think it's weird that it's kind of a distraction and that it's not happy at all it's a very sad documentary and it keeps getting worse but i think that it's mm. still kind of an, an escape i also think sometimes people just anecdotally compare themselves to people who are in worse situations and maybe feel a little bit better about yeah. that, you know?
0: Um, yeah, maybe, maybe kind of the social comparison aspect of it. I think so. I think it's also, honestly, I, I will go back to kind of the, uh, the, the little bit of, uh, uh, of the um, escapism mm-hmm. that people do, you know, why do people watch movies? And Because we do like to engage in a little bit of escapism and vicariously put ourselves in that. It was like, because I, I, I am I would be lying I told you I would be lying if I didn't think it would be pretty sweet to have about 40 acres in which I have a menagerie of animals and just kind of like go from place to place hanging out on an elephant that's that sounds awesome do I do think it's cool and I, I you know I probably wouldn't have those animals but the, the elephant probably. <laughs> I would have a pool of sharks for sure.
1: <laughs> so I, and I, while I, I just... personally don't find that vision super appealing, I do find it interesting that other people do, and I do like to hear about that. And again, it's <laughs> not, not cuz I don't I don't like animals and stuff like that. It's just that like it seems like a lot of work. <laughs>
0: Can you do that's, Well, the only thing, that's exactly why I'm never going to be a cult leader. It's just a lot of work. Seriously
1: to maintain that <laughs> in stuff. In the in
0: the words of Creed Breton, you know, uh, I've been involved in cults, both as a, as a leader and a follower. And you have more fun as a follower, <laughs> but you make more money as a leader.
1: <laughs> and yes. even though this is real life, it plays like a movie because it's almost literally unbelievable. Right. In a, in a lot well, that's that exactly.
0: I, you know? I said that. Mm-hmm. I said, I, 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 A, it blew my mind that it happened so recently. His conviction was in January of wow. this year. I'm like, wow, they put this close very mm-hmm. quickly. Like, this has been clearly... I mean, they were just at the right time, but mm-hmm. it's just crazy. A, and I really kind of started looking at a lot of stuff, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this cannot be real. It, it, I mean, I, I like Better uh, Breaking Bad and Better mm-hmm. Call Saul a lot. And part of the reason I like is because it's so well-written, and the characters are just, like, so well-crafted. And, well- and the, to me, this actually felt a little bit like that. It's like these characters had a lot of depth, uh, they had an origin story it had an arch i mean and, and you know it had explosions mm-hmm. it had everything and i'm like this is all like if you told me if, if somebody wanted to and pitched this into a hollywood studio i'm like we're gonna make it like, get out of here that's nobody will believe that no,
1: totally and then uh, and, I, and then, then people connected over it too i think that's the other thing is right. that like because that reality show on netflix love is blind did you see that I it doesn't seem like your thing exactly, thing, but yeah. but I will say the show had a <laughs> lot of problems with it, but then it becomes like once people start watching it and talking about it and being like, oh my gosh, I actually think that it like, it helps connect people and especially at a time when people mm-hmm. need connection. I'm not trying yeah. to like paint this as virtuous that like I binge watched a Netflix show that, that had like a lot of horrible <laughs> things going on, but I do think there becomes also then the secondary like people bonding over like, whoa, like we're all on the same page here, that this stuff is mm-hmm. really unbelievable. Um,
0: yeah, and that's, I mean, we are ultimately a social social species. Mm. So we like, you know, finding people who like our, the same things that we're into. And that might be, it gets a little meta, but that's the reason why perhaps uh, Joe and Carol and Doc, find people that want to gravitate towards them is because they've they these kindred spirits of people who get exactly. it.
1: exactly.
0: Uh, I, I, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, I don't particularly, you know, I like the idea of that, but I'm not going to spend the time or effort to care for a tiger. That's, that's just not quite as appealing. I mean,
1: I do like the idea of riding an elephant. I want to be clear. It's more like the upkeep of an entire zoo. that, <laughs> that, that the seems upkeep of it, an like I, entire yeah, zoo. That's not, like I mean, I think that sounds really cool. Right. Um, so I think that the kind of um we touched on like what are some of the features we observed we talked about some of the Mm -hmm. psychology perhaps of why so many people are drawn to them why we are drawn to watch this show about them might be worth maybe talking a little bit about like how do you clinically treat people who struggle with issues like these because ultimately i think it's it's really sad to see people who have strengths and positive characteristics, like you said, kind of um, cut their nose off despite their. To cut mm-hmm. their nose, how mm-hmm. does Michael Scott say it?
0: this is a spider face is
1: no spider face
0: (laughs) like he wrote like he he read it like a spider face he actually wrote it like spider
1: so like i i i joke about michael scott but most of the expressions that you and i try to remember on this show are just as distorted as his uh, yeah
0: sorry sorry listeners you guys are gonna have to please stay tuned for our you know spin-off on the reddit (laughs) if you like office ladies then stay tuned for the aficionados (laughs) with Katie Gordon and Leo
1: <laughs> One thing I did want to check is make sure we that importantly got to um, what our listeners said. The only thing I don't think that we talked about is the idea of um, someone asked about toxic masculinity or the idea that certain cultural norms oh. associated with harm to society, like men not expressing emotions or um, having sexism towards women oh. or violence and sexual assault. And if that's um, reflect Gosh, on that a little
0: a bit. Question. Yeah, it's a good question because I struggle with with the term a little bit. Um, but and so let me see because I, in one hand, um, we you know what what's. I, yeah, I don't see that their behavior as a as a part of masculinity. I I this is my my lens is because I'm a clinical psychologist. I tend to end my area of research. I almost do feel sometimes I'm like, Leo, not everything is about narcissism. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, that's, that's kind of the lens that I see it. So I don't particularly see it as a form of masculinity or not, because there are aspects about it that, like for Carol, who is a woman, so some of the aspects that were kind of, you know, manipulative and, and so I didn't, I didn't take that lens as much. Um, and... Even so, and I, I will say, like, to Joe's absolute credit, that one of the things that, again, is, is, I think it's admirable of him is that he lived his life in a very uncompromising way for everything, both for keeping tigers, but uh, his sexuality. And I, having lived in conservative South, it's funny because I've lived in Florida and I've lived in North Carolina, you know, passed through South Carolina, <laughs> <laughs> and I lived in Oklahoma, but these are fairly conservative places and in which living the way that Joe did. That's that. It, so it, it, he really expressed himself how he was. And he was like, that's it. I'm out and out and proud and just did not give a damn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think that's what a lot of people gravitated. And I was shocked when he was running for governor uh, and the the polls came in. He lost, of course, but he got 19% of the
1: vote.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hang on, 20%. And, you know, kind of the man on the street interviews during it, people, a woman I remember, she was saying, he's like, you oh, know, he just says whatever's in his mind and you know what and really liking him like that there was something kind of admirable about that I will say and again one of the things you know the the aspects we were trying to see the complex aspects of of these people and one of the likable things about Joe is I think he just kind of lives very out and just who he you know this is who I am love me or not and I'm I'm out there Uh, and that's 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 interesting
1: so I don't I don't Tend to use that term a lot, um, which
0: yeah, I don't either.
1: I won't go into right now, but I w- but I will say, I mean, if you boil down the comp- some of the components, I mean, one could say that, like, um, his Joe not conforming to expectation masculine norms to his father was harmful. Um, Certainly there was some objectifying of women throughout. I mean, Jeff talks about picking out the nanny so it's someone he can look at and stuff like that. And then, and then Doc Antle is changing their names. And it certainly doesn't appear to be a situation where they're uh, viewing women as equals or anything like that. And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely present. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right that I tend to look through that personality lens too. You know, is that maybe the way that it expresses is shaped by cultures that people are in but i um i have a hard time i guess what i will say is i have a hard time sometimes pairing it with masculinity because i don't i feel like the term is kind of an academic term and it could be misunderstood as saying there's something Mm-hmm. negative about men or about masculinity in and of itself. I know that's not what it means, right. yeah. but sometimes I think using that language, I, I would hate for it to like come off as the opposite of what it means. So I guess that's what I'll say about the term, but it's a great question. And like, there is clearly sexism yeah. and objectification in, in it.
0: I think that the, I have a question for you regarding, regarding this. And I would be, I would be just like maybe the, the person who tweeted at us, we can tweet it back at them and see maybe what they need, mean more about it. Or, but one of the things that I'm, I'm always careful with is when, you know, people are exploitative or manipulative, etc. And to me, it, I think about it frequently for a, for a con or manipulation to work, a person has to uh, be able to, but mm. the other person has to be unaware of it. And I I do wonder how much awareness the other people had. Like I'm aware of what's happening, and yet I'm still doing it. And it's a really interesting. You know, why do people stay? In, and Doc Antle, like they he, they were the, the interviewer was kind of leading him in that path, and Doc immediately stopped him and was like, "Here, you're you're trying to lead me into this path that I've heard before, which is that I'm keeping here. People are in a cult, and I'm not. People are free to go at any time. So, and I I, I go back and forth on it because I think about it about uh, in people who stay in abusive relationships. You know, why do people stay in abusive relationships? A myriad of facts. And it was really interesting to have that mm-hmm. interview with the woman who left, I guess, Dr. Lee, she was living in Ohio or something. She, she, And she has a really good, interesting comment regarding, she said, you know, yeah, I am free to go, quote unquote, basically, but you forget about the relationships and the things that do keep you there. And that's a really interesting, it's almost like, These tough questions regarding free will—like nobody's really keeping you there—but what is it that keeps a person in a cult or in a relationship that they really value, even if they are Mm -hmm. in some aspects? And I will use the word, I guess, toxic. Perhaps maybe that's what we're talking about—a relationship that is uh, that is characterized by um, not 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 egalitarian. It's not an egalitarian relationship. Um, But people who stay in them willingly, I don't know. And I always, I I immediately, my mind, but that's kind of my other area of practice. I start kind of gravitating and thinking about kind of like people's kinks and things. I'm like, "Ah, you know, I don't want to kink shame anybody about their lifestyle. So I just go back and forth on it, honestly.
1: You and I have both worked with people who struggle with these personality disorders, but you have more than I. What what clinical approaches are there? Do we have effective approaches to help individuals who are struggling, like the people in this documentary?
0: You know, it, it really de- it depends. So first off, you know, the person has to be has has needs to have enough insight and motivation to do something about it and that that's one of the challenges that often people mention in therapy with people who have these traits is that they often don't have either the insight nor the motivation to change especially with things like narcissism because they already think that they're doing great it's not their problem but everybody else's and it's not until a personal crisis or a legal situation that forces them into something like therapy that then it, it kind of brings up about that reckoning.
1: So that's the first challenge is the motivation. Whereas that's, yeah, well, challenge whereas number we, one. D- we didn't talk about borderline personality disorder as much because I think it tends to people who Not have much, it yeah. tend to be a lot more distressed and, and feel shame about themselves. And Certainly. I mean, that can happen with the others. Right. And, and those individuals do tend to present for treatment and feel motivated for treatment. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right, mm-hmm. more so with narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, did they get in trouble at work, or did, was there a crime, or is their partner, you know, saying they need to present for treatment? And so right off the bat, and they have it to carry. I, I just can't
0: see. I can. I cannot imagine. You know, a dog. Mm-hmm. A dog. And I mean, again, we're not saying they need a treatment. So, further claim or Jeff or any, you know, this character saying like, oh yeah, it's my problem. I'm doing it. No, I just that's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Uh, I could see maybe Joe at some point saying, you know, yeah, I would like to not continue shooting mm-hmm. myself on the foot. How can I stop that? And I do think that things like DBT, certainly, you know, reducing the impulsivity. If there was one thing that I think got Joe more trouble was just his impulsive behavior, especially when he was angry, just kind of blew it out of proportion and just could not stop antagonizing. So the reason he ended up having a million dollar judgment against him is because he decided to stop, to start basically infringing a copyright. And that was a Mm -hmm. self-inflicted wound that just devolved into everything. So reducing that impulsivity, and I think that DBT is very helpful in that.
1: Yeah, so you think dialectical behavior therapy might be helpful for some of
0: Exactly, so DBT, I think it would be very helpful for something like that. Yeah, There uh, certainly other CBT, uh, REBT uh, was the, the modality, which is Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, um, kind of created by Albert Ellis. And that's widely used in the in the federal prison system. Uh, it was used at the sex of, at the, I'm sorry at the substance use treatment program where I was in the federal prison for internship. And it's a lot of that is a lot of those principles are used in multiple other places, kind of moral rec, uh, reconative therapy as well. A lot of cognitive, basically a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy approaches that are aimed at uh, a reducing people's impulsivity and self-defeating behaviors. And uh, ideally, getting the person to recognize that you know taking advantage of others is not a good thing, and if not, if they don't have the emotional empathic capacity to see to not do wrong things for others because it is harmful to others, at least not do it because it harms them, because it's in your own self self interest to not continue being antisocial. Basically, and I feel like there's so much about this this about it that we could go so it's a, it's a tough one but I do know that we need to wrap it up I think with perhaps the we can finish with at Perez Rojass question is how do I become a, <laughs> a doctor of mystical science <laughs> <laughs> and I think we have good news for you at Perez Rojas uh, I think you just <laughs> you just declare yourself a doctor of mystical science and voila